Welcome back to the Maine Fly Fishing Podcast. We're going to take a break from our fish series and get back to our regularly scheduled podcast. And uh, I'm your host, Aaron Broadus, and I'm here today with Greg Labonte of Maine Fly Guys and Nate White of Northwoods Fly Company. And we're going to be talking all things fly tying. So if you're new to fly tying or you've been at it for decades, this episode promises to be a good one because we're going to nerd out on some fly fishing talk. Uh, before we get into that, though, we've had a request from Mr. Peter Fallon to talk about a uh, pretty big deal. Um, they're going to be talking about stripers next week um, on Wednesday, April 21st. So the main DMR, Department of Marine Resources, is going to hold an open online public meeting next Wednesday, the 21st at 6 p.m., and they're going to share updates on striper management and research in Maine, and they want to hear from you about what you want from your fishery and your fishery managers. What do you guys think about this meeting? I I think it's great. I mean, it's it's got potential to help the fishery in, in lots of different ways, and it's I think the biggest thing is, you know, all of you out there need to get on and, and voice your opinions the best you can about it. Yeah, it's a problem, right, because we have... You know, this is a federal fish. It's not a state fish. Yeah. This is a fish that crosses many different states, and many states have been either kind of on the pro side or it seems like they've been on the opposite side. And Massachusetts has went through some pretty nasty stuff. And <laughs> yeah. I think in Maine, though, we're, like, respectful enough to each other that we're not going to let it get to that point because basically the moderator said, I don't want to be up until 10 o'clock tonight. We're going <laughs> to shut off public comments. I think they're going to listen to people, hopefully, you know, and, and see what you guys have to say. And, you know, they said they want to hear from you, so. Yep. You I'll know. say to the people who are uh, anticipating on attending, make sure that you do your homework. You know, if you want to speak or if you want to talk, don't go with your opinion. Because your opinion means nothing. That's They're not going to listen to that. I wouldn't listen to it. Your, your opinion only matters to yourself. So if you have something to say or you feel passionate about something... Do your research, do your homework, get some statistics, get some analysis, come with a, you know, some critical thinking. Don't just say what's on your mind. You know, if you really want to talk up about something, it's important to go with a battle plan, you know. So I plan on doing my research about what's going on and trying to, you know, pick apart some arguments and maybe I'll speak, maybe I won't, but I'll at least be prepared to speak if the opportunity arises. So I would advise everyone to do that who plans on attending. That's a good point. I, I think just keep it Maine too, right? Like don't complain about what's going on in Massachusetts, New Jersey, the other states. Like keep it here. Talk about why it's important you're here, but also, like you said, have some have some research to back up other than just throwing out your passionate opinions because that doesn't often seem to, to work with anything. So I'll tell you from experience, someone who's worked in fisheries and stuff, that, you know, the angler's opinion doesn't really matter, you know, and you can see that in fisheries management, you know, when an angler says, oh, you know, there used to be more brook trout here, like, that's great, but fish biologists, fisheries managers, they don't really care about that, you know, and so if you come with a plan, you know, you have to think about it from their perspective. How are they managing things? Well, they're not managing things from their opinions or what they catch or, you know, they're, they're managing it from statistics. They're managing it from a science perspective. So if you really want to reach them and you really want to make change, then you need to talk their language. And that comes with, you need to be uber prepared for that, you know. 
I think we all have opinions on the stripers and what's going on in different states and in our states and slot limits and keepers and not keepers and everything, you know, but like, what does the science say? Has there been studies done on it, you know? And so, yeah, it takes a little bit of work and that's why these things can be hit or miss for sure. You know, you can have a lot of people who are really angry with things and they just kind of get very passionate and emotional and that's not helpful. I don't think it's helpful. That's why I won't be speaking. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, when you get an emotionally driven argument, That's it kind of goes to that incoherent side where you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You're just, you know, this is just how you feel. Like, you know, do you want managers to start making decisions based off emotions? No, I don't. You know, right. I'm sure nobody does. And so, yeah, so you need to talk their language if you want to get things done. Well Le- said that. Leave your emotions and feelings out of it and bring the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to do this day and age because uh, when you go on social media, everybody's just freaking <laughs> their feelings. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, leave your social media etiquette at, at home or somewhere else for this one. So, um, all right, that's great. We wanted to just throw that out there because it's an important part of our Maine community and we love uh, fishing for all fish in Maine, but stripers are a huge part of what you know three of us like to do and other people too. So, um, all right, let's talk fly tying. So... I think it makes most sense to talk about newbies. Now, um, Nate, I know that you do like tying classes with, with kids sometimes. It's something you've you've done and want to do more of. And I know that Greg has done some beginner fly tying classes at UNE where he, where he works. Um, I've done beginner fly tying classes at Eldridge Brothers Fly Shop. And I've also done them with some students in my school. So we all have experience here with newbies. Um, let's start with the essentials. So what are... What are some tools that you think someone must have? Let's start with you, Nate. I always push people to get a good basics kit. Um, there are several companies that carry really good comprehensive kits that have a decent vice in them, some of the basic tools and materials to tie a lot of the basic flies out there. And the important part about that kit is a detailed instruction book. Mm. And let's face it, we all live in a world where you have YouTube and you can get onto YouTube and find patterns and tie patterns off of there. But it it's often more beneficial to have those pictures right in front of you and not have to keep hitting the pause button to figure out what somebody's talking about. Yep. So uh, to me, a really good kit, a really good beginner's kit is a is a perfect place to start. And they give you they give you the exact materials for each fly in there. Yeah, absolutely. Well yeah, yeah. So. I know Wopsy makes a pretty good Wopsy kit. Wopsy makes a really good kit. Yeah. 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 It's a good beginner kit. Um, Greg, anything you want to add to that? I mean, I, I think we should also throw out there, like, you know, should somebody go out and spend two, $300 on a vice, or should they just go pick up one that they, you know, can see clamp to their desk or whatever, and it doesn't really hold hooks very well? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I echo the, the kit for sure. Um, you can't skimp on tools. It's just like with any project. If you have the right tools, it becomes much easier. And if it's easier, then you'll have a much better time doing it. So I agree. Get the full kit. And the kits are not that expensive. You know, they're not that expensive. It's a hobby. I mean, anytime you want to do a hobby, you're going to have to put some money. You're going to have to invest some money in it. So there's a, there's a you know, a false statement out there that tying your own flies saves you money. That is not true. <laughs> so if, if you're... 100%. And, uh, you know, all three of us just laughed because, you know, once you start doing it, you realize that each pattern 
requires a specific set of materials that you can't buy in small amounts. Mm. Or if you do buy in small amounts, it's more expensive. So just if you're looking to save money on flies, fly tying, I would say, is not the best avenue. It's just like any other hobby. You invest money in it. You know, it's a craft. It's something that's fun and, you know, wholesome. And, and you know, to catch a fish on a fly that you tied is is exciting. It's something, you know, when you first start doing it, it's really cool. So, but um, the beginners, I would say, no, you don't want to go out and buy a $200, $300 vice. Because if this is something that it turns out you don't like, you know, which is possible, that's fine. You know, I tried to, you know, pick up some hobbies that I didn't end up liking. And so rather than investing your entire bankroll in it, Get the kit that comes with the vice and everything included sure. for, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever. Yep. And yeah, the vice is not great. It might not have a rotary function or, or something, but you, you at least have all the pieces when you're like, I like this. This is something that I'm interested in. I like to do it in my spare time. I want to get more serious. That's when you start looking at, okay, well, I'm getting more serious, so I need better equipment, yeah. you know? Makes, so, sense. Makes sense. I think we all did that. I yeah, mean, I know I did. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I did. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, even when I teach classes, sometimes you know I bring my nicer vice, and they have like the pretty cheap ones. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. like, this doesn't hold up very well. I'm like, I know, it's because it's really cheap. But, yeah, like, yeah. We'll get there though. So. Uh, it can be overwhelming. I mean, beginning yeah. fly tying can be very overwhelming. Yes. And, and great point. That's one of the things about a kit. I mean, it it's all inclusive for you, and it takes a lot of that. What else do I need out of it? Yeah, and and don't get frustrated and overwhelmed with it. Yeah, you know what's funny about those kits is I've got so Eldridge Brothers does the flies for kids thing where yep. people people tie flies and they send them to Eldridge Brothers and then they they raffle off all those flies and with that they buy those Wopsy kits. Yep, and any kid who wants to get a fly tying can go to Eldridge Brothers and they can get a free fly tying kit from there. You just ask. It's yeah, as simple as that. Yeah, but what's funny about it is I've gotten some of those kits for my students and I've done some tying them in school. And then I take a look at the instruction book. I'm like, I've never tied that flyer. They're kind of yeah. like that. And then I end up with them in my box. And I remember tying like a, it was, they had like a polywing spinner in there or something. It was crazy. Yeah. It's weird. I yeah. was like, really? That's one of the top 10 pairs you have a newbie tie. But then I started tying it and I was catching fish on it. It's funny. <laughs> Pretty funny. So, um, so what tools, if somebody didn't buy a kit, what tools do they need? Like, what are the basics? basics a vice a bobbin and a good pair of scissors and you don't even have to really have like a high-end pair of scissors either i mean i i burn through a lot of like craft shears and sure. stuff because depending on the material that you're cutting you know you dull up you dull up your scissors really quick yeah and you know you you can buy a whip finish tool if you want to that's not a necessity. If you can learn to whip finish with your fingers, you're actually, you're going to be better off in the future anyway, because yeah. it's so much faster than having to reach down to grab a tool. So, yeah. you know, in high volume production tying, if you need to, to stop for whatever reason, a whip finish with your fingers is far faster than with a tool. And so. there's a, um, there's also like a bodkin is like two or three dollars, like three dollars. And yeah. they, sometimes they have a little like thing on the back where you can actually do a little of the, um, whip finish with the with the tool yeah a square knot kind of tool yeah those are great investments and i it's funny i bring mine to the newbie class that i teach and then they they like everyone's like can i use that thing can i use that thing <laughs> just tie a little circle around it put it up to the 
hook eye and boom slide it on. Yep. So yep. That's the bare basics, right? Yeah. Right yep. There. Yep. yep. So um, let's talk about this is funny because everybody always has the same answer, but I do like to hear different people's opinions. So I'll start with Greg. What fly, like, what's the first fly you'd suggest for a newbie if they didn't go buy a kit or something? What, what should they tie first? That's a great question. Anything for me, so it varies, I suppose. Everyone's answer is probably woolly bugger because it, it incorporates a lot of different skills. Yeah. And, you know, for me, when I'm teaching new fly tires, the bigger the fly, like, within reason, I suppose, but is usually easier. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I want to tie a caddis, you know, if they're a fly angler or something. And it's like, well, let's hold off on that for a second because the woolly bugger is a great place to start because there's a lot of different skills that are not difficult to do. Yeah. So you learn a lot about materials. You know, there's hackle wrapping. There's just how to tie in material, how to center material, how to finish off material, how to finish off your fly, you know. And... Um, you know, wire wrapping, how to, you know, if you, you know, how to take wire off without using your scissors, you don't dull up your scissors. There's, there's a lot of like little... You can use hackle pliers. Yeah, there's a lot of like wire. little intricacies with a woolly bugger that um, help sort of the, the, the mind realize how materials work. Sure. And um, so that's why I, I like teaching that one. The other one is like saltwater patterns um, that are big and bulky and really hard to mess up. Yeah. Where like, you know, you want it to be big and fluffy. So, you know, it's patterns that are easy to make good. They might not be easy to make great, but they're easy to make good. Woolly bugger, tough to mess up. Something yeah. like a half and half, tough to mess that up. You yeah. know, just tie a couple feathers on the back, a couple wraps of deer hair, and you're, you know, glue some eyes on and you're pretty much good. Yeah. So that is what I like to teach people. It's things that flies that have a lot of skills that they can learn. And are really easy to make good and efficient. Because that's like when you first, when I first started tying flies, I had no instruction. I had nothing. I just, my buddies were doing it. So I picked it up and I started doing it. And all of my flies were so bad. I couldn't even fish them. You know what I mean? Because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have anyone that was teaching me. And so I was tying these flies and I was just like, you didn't, take a, you didn't take a class no, or anything? No, I didn't take nothing. You I were just, just trying to figure it out. I, I actually, I bought a kit off a, um, off an old lady whose husband had passed away and rest his soul. I bet he would be, I bet he's rolling over his grave for how much I bought the kit for. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought, I bought probably an easily a thousand dollars worth of stuff for 80 bucks. Yeah. From oh. this, yeah. Oh yeah. Like it was low. at the time I didn't know. It just was, this lady was selling course, a kit on Craigslist. It was 80 bucks. I said it came with two vices, came with like six, Haddle, uh, saddle hackles, saddle hackles, and it came with so many tools and unique feathers that I know now I'm like, oh my god, that is just like, I made out like, <laughs> a, you know, I made out like a, like a bandit. But, um, so yeah, I just bought it and I just went up to my room. And at that time, like, YouTube wasn't, you know, this was over 10 years ago now, YouTube wasn't, wasn't huge. Bad. And, like, you know, I don't know, I just kind of started doing it. And, uh, my buddy ended up helping me out and I just went from there. And, what was discouraging, though, was my flies were not usable in the beginning. Like, they just weren't usable. And when you get that kit, if you get that kit to start, or if you tie flies that are easy to start, like, I was trying to do too complicated stuff. Yeah. And that was my issue. I should have just stuck with the woolly bugger and 
done 20 of those and mastered it and then moved on to something harder. Um, Good advice. And yeah, so I, I didn't spend enough time in the beginning mastering the easy stuff. That, you know, it's just like anything, repetition, repetition, repetition. And then when you feel comfortable and you're like, oh, this looks good, you can go out and use it, you yep. know? And that's like, that's what you're ultimately doing in the beginning is you're tying it to go use it somewhere, right? Yep. So, yeah, so that's um, that's my take on that. What do you think Nate's answer is going to be? I think it's going to be like my fourth generation <laughs> great-grandfather <laughs> taught me how to tie a perfect... Some, like, Carrie Stevens it's, pattern. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you, you, you were both so totally wrong. It's a full-dressed Green Highlander... Tied, oh. tied on an ADOT <laughs> blind eye. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm totally going to echo exactly what Greg said. I mean, it's it, that is the quintessential beginner's fly in my mind is a, is a woolly bugger for everything that Greg said. And I, I actually kind of step back even a little bit from there when I'm giving lessons to, to newbies and we practice on a bare hook to get thread control. Yeah. Because thread, thread is the hardest thing. Yeah. You know, once you once you can master the angle of your wrist and how thread lays out on a hook and how to get it to move back and forth and to not break it off, yep. you know, everything else starts to flow a lot easier. Good point. Yep. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a guess. What what fly do you think I start with? People. Oh, I know. I think I know. <laughs> Knowing him and how he fishes, I bet he starts with a San Juan. Worm. I was about to say a San Juan yeah. worm. One hundred percent correct. <laughs> <laughs> But I have not fished a San Juan worm in probably five years. Right. Oh, yeah, 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 I have them. Yeah, yeah. I do have them. No, but yeah. I swear to God, they yeah. never touch the water. So. At, least you did, at least you didn't say mop fly or yeah. squirmy or something. <laughs> we won't share your... Mop know. flies aren't always that easy. They kind of strip them away a little bit if you, if you kind of pull on them. Listen, uh, these two are commercial fly tires. I tie for myself, so my flies can't be judged. I don't, true. I don't sell them for money, so... It's it's we won't tell anyone your dirty little secret if you well, listen. Fish. Is a San Juan worm the worst fly to start somebody on who has no thread control? No, no, no. no it's a good one. It's easy, bad. simple. Yeah, it's not bad. I, I will tell you that's actually the second fly that my daughters were on. Nice. When when they started tying more this winter, sure. they started with woolly buggers, and I I demanded two dozen out of each of them, and yep. they, I wanted them the right way. Demanded. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, I got to make my money off the hey, kids somehow, yeah. right? Like, hey, somebody it, just ordered thirty six woolly buggers. I need forty eight out of you. Let's go. Let's go. Get on it. And hey, make sure those tails are all right. Yeah. And you know, and then and then move on to to like the San Juan worm. Yeah. Good point. You know? Yeah. Progressions. That's a good you point. Know, progressions, and then from there you'll move to something a little more challenging and from there you'll move to something more challenging and before you know it you'll be doing you know, Atlantic so, salmon flies and or whatever. I think what you said really stuck with me though is that like find one fly and then just tie it a bunch of times. Tie it oh, 30 yeah. times. Yep. Literally. Because yep. you're just going to get better as you go and and maybe even watch some different videos on that same fly because not everybody ties a wood bug the same way. Yeah. Not even close. No. There's like 10 no. different ways to tie it and, and not more. So pick up on those little things and be helpful for you, right? Um, all right, I'm going to switch gears here with this question. Okay. Oh, okay. So we talked about tools, and we talked about people needing, what do we say, scissors, and you said, uh, oh gosh, we forgot in here. Scissors, scissors, vice bobbin. Vice bobbin. Okay, keep it real simple, okay? Um, what are what tools are a must-have for somebody who's like an experienced fly tire? So what are some like, what are some tools you would say... Anybody who's going to tie a bunch of different flies, what do they need to have? Oh. <laughs> Feel free to plug here, too. That's fine. That's fine. Because I know you want it. I, no. Actually, I'm, I'm not going to plug 
too hard on any one thing. That's but fine. That's a good fine. a good hair packer. So for stacking hair. Yeah. Um, and if you can afford to do it, get them in multiple different sizes. Um, I will give you a little insider. I started out with empty shell casings from because you know we used to shoot a lot as kids here in Maine, and yep. you can use those for for stacking hair. Or, I didn't even know they had different sizes. Yeah, they're, they're not all the same. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's a very valuable tool, even when you get into tying, you know, hair wing streamer flies to help at least straighten out some of the, the tips of your materials and your bucktail. Um, get a whip finish tool. Learn how to use it. It, it, it does have a place, a time and a place. Um, they're awesome. I love them. You know, and... Get a good bodkin so you can start picking out materials when you start getting into more complex things. And, um, you know, I could go really, really in-depth. I buy brushes. I buy uh, combs from Walmart to use to comb out materials. Mm-hmm. Um, get get a better bobbin than what you'd get in your basic kit. And, you know, then then pull the trigger and step up to a high-quality vice. Yeah. Let me ask this question, and I have a funny story after this, but let me... So... There's a lot of different kind of epoxies, glues out there, right? Oh, yeah. What do you recommend to somebody, what, what do you recommend to a new person to buy for some sort of, you know, just head cement, basically? Just, <laughs> just basic head cement? You want to go first, Greg? Sure, I will. <laughs> There's, so, UV glue is like the new age, I guess, head cement, yeah. you know? You can do your regular lacquer, you know, there's like Hallie Sanson, Hanson's? Sally, Sally Hanson. Hanson's, yep. hard as nails. That's a classic one. I guess a lot of people use that. UV's great. Yep. You, need a, you need a UV light, and the light is important. Like, you need a good light. Don't get the $10 one on Amazon, because it doesn't work. So spend, you're going to need to spend 40 50 bucks, 60 bucks yep. on, on a nice light. A rechargeable one, they're great. The rechargeable ones are great. That way you don't need to keep buying batteries. But, um... So there's like 8,000 UV companies now, you know, mm-hmm. and my favorite is Raid Zap. Yep. They just, they went away for a little bit. They came back. They're back now, which is, I'm super happy, super happy about that. Um, I used Solares in the time being. I liked it. I, it didn't bother me. I thought it was great, um, but I just like Raid better. Yep. Um, I get less tack with it and, you know, I get no tack with Raid, you know. And that's for me the biggest part is one is does it does it actually stay hard and like when you fish it does it maintain its integrity and is there any tack so tack is when you shine the light on it you harden the glue up and you touch it is it tacky yeah raid zap I get no tack it stays hard I've caught many fish on you know heads for like pike and smallmouth and and some musky and raid just seems to hold up better. Do you, you ever know. use just regular head cement on these flies too? Never, never. I, I, I no, mean, not anymore. Yeah, not UV is just yeah. so, it's so. It's taking over. With the regular head cement, it takes you know a good hour to like really harden and yeah. be solid. Yeah, do the old styrofoam cup trick. Right, and, and you put know, it in there, spin it, it maybe, yeah. you know, spin whatever. Yeah. And with UV, it's five seconds, and yep. it's good, and it yep. looks flawless. You know, it looks flawless. Five seconds, it's done. So yeah, I, I only use UV. Do you want to hear my funny story? Uh, yes, go ahead. <laughs> so, for at least my first two years' time, my head cement that I bought, that I used, was a head cement thinner. Oh, with no cement in it? <laughs> with no cement in it, because it was meant to take away, right? It, so, 
So I literally tied flies with a head cement thinner, but I'm going to tell you, they didn't really fall apart on me too much. Well, it's just crazy. It's a sign of a guy who knows how to tie knots. You must have whipped it for real well. I I do like that. Yeah. 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 cranking on it. I'll say for a tool that I, um, for like people looking to get more into it or an expert, are two things. One, many different kinds of scissors. Mm. And like, because, you know, when you start getting into the scissor game and when you start getting into more complex slides, there's hair, there's scissors to cut bulky deer hair. Yep. There's scissors to cut, you know, delicate hackle. There's scissors to, you know, trim things and shape things. There's curved scissors to reach Don't areas. use your good scissors on the wire. Right. right? I mean, you Something never need that. to cut wire if you just you helicopter, helicopter it. it sure. you know? But sure. there are scissors to cut thicker, like stems of feathers there's scissors that are better at cutting that and so like you know i have that i use regularly probably four or five different scissors that i just use pretty regularly one more than others but there are a couple that i just sort of use interchangeably you know and so a a wide selection of scissors that each have their own job you know a micro tip one to cut your final thread on like a midge to not leave any you know tag end showing or something like that that and then um, razor blades, bendable razor blades. You're eventually going to get into shaping deer hair at some point. Yeah, doing it on either dry fly or you know some bulky monster fly or a popper or something, and you know you can get packs of two hundred razors, bendable razors that because they get pretty dull pretty quick after you use it. You know a couple times they get dull like really quick. So I'd say get a bunch of bendable razors. Um, razor blades, I should say, um, because you're going to need to eventually use those when you start trimming deer hair with it. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my, those would be my two, two things. Cool. So same question to you and any, any additions there? So (laughs) must have tools for like somebody who is like experienced or they're just like tying a lot of flies. Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny. Greg talks about raid zap. Uh, I, probably can't divulge too much of it but you're really going to like what's coming out in the next several months from them um that was released to us today and i got to see the videos on the newest products and you're gonna you're gonna love it if you loved what it was before you're really gonna love it now um so i also use that with a loon uv light yeah so the uv light to kind of talk a little bit more about what greg was saying you know the uv light has to be of the right spectrum in order to cure that uv correctly um and if you have a good UV resin like Raid Zap, um, and I'm going to plug them again, um, it won't yellow over time. And it's also one of the the only bio-based, kind of plant-based resins that's out there on the market. So you don't get the things that you would get with some of the other resins. Um, some people say they get a smell off of it. I don't. I, and it could just be because I use so damn much of it that I'm, <laughs> I'm used to the smell by now. Yeah. But... Um, you know, it, it does not cause any of the dry skin like other resins does. Um, the one thing that I will tell you about using UV resins and a UV light is don't look at the light. That UV light is the worst thing for your eyes ever. Mm. And, you know, and if they do make shields that you can put over the end of your light, they look really silly, but they're kind of an orange color. Like you'd see at a dentist's office, you know, you're generally shining it you generally are, but even just that off glow from yeah. that, they're so powerful that it, yeah. it deteriorates your vision in a, in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing that I have really been pushing people hard on lately for extra tools is 
setting up your table properly and making sure that you have a lot of light when you're tying. Um, a good clean background, a neutral color background is really beneficial to you when you're tying. You'll get less eye strain out of it and you'll be able to see your materials a lot a lot easier if you don't have a whole bunch of clutter all over your desk. Yeah, I could use that tip. <laughs> you can I, tie this fly down here. Look at the lighting down here. Oh, this yeah. is tough. This is tough to see. Shadow there. It's, yeah, it you know, tough. yeah. The light is my my desk. I've got a, a eighteen inch wide um, kind of uh, fluorescent tube that's now got LED tubes in it mm-hmm. that shines down. Yeah. And then because I'm of um, middle aged, I'm forty three, well, forty four years old now. Um, I actually have a magnifying lamp that's got a. Uh, LED ring on it as well yep. that I use. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. The it more, just, the more light, the better really. Yeah. And when you're tying, like, you know, let's say you do, you know, 20 flies in a row, your, your, your eyes do strain, especially yes. if they're small flies, your yep. eyes are straining. So when you have good light and, you know, I'm not at the age where I need a magnifying glass just yet, but, <laughs> <laughs> but man, soon though, soon, very soon. But yeah, good light. That's a good one. Yeah. Good light is key. Good, good lighting. So these are two guys that tie literally thousands of flies a month. I mean, not tens of thousands, but probably thousands are close to there, right? Yeah. Hundreds, high hundreds of thousands. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you guys are into this, very experienced with that. I mean, I maybe tie 300 a year, something like that. I'm sure. just filling my own personal boxes, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what I think has changed in a, in a lot with like social media, but also just in terms of... Um, how people buy flies now. Uh, so we have, like you guys are small batch fly tires, right? Yeah. Yep. So let's talk about like, um, let's talk about tying production versus like just a custom small batch. Like what's the difference in yeah. kind of those two things? Have you ever tied large production, Greg? I've never tied. So like the most I've ever done for large production is probably... Like, I, well, one, I've never done it for a company. Yeah. You know, I've never tied yeah, for yeah. a company. Yep. I'd say a guy ordered, the, he ordered three patterns, 36 each, which is not that large of production. I'm not, I've never tied in the hundreds. So mm. I can't yeah. speak on like, because I'm sure that Nate's done. Yeah. If you tied for a fly shop, you've uh, probably tied Right. Stuff on I, you know, I'm sure you've done a hundred of something. So I can't speak on that. Mentally, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't <laughs> think that I have the capabilities to do it. Mentally, I don't think I do. Yeah. So I caps off to Nate for being able to do something like that because I, it's just, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> the key to high volume production tying is uh, the layout of your materials. And if I have to sit down and tie, I just had a great conversation with, with Nate Hicks, Fishbone Metalworks tonight about this and the amount of near enough smelts that I've tied this year. And, and he was like, why, like, how do you even sit down and and comprehend tying that many near enough smelts in a row? I go through and I do all of the beads on my hooks, all the tails, and I put the, the flex resin onto the tails and I set aside, I do a hundred, set aside. Okay. And then I go through and I spend a couple hours and I, I rip apart six bags of dubbing and I divide them all up and I put them into the foam dividers that I have so that when I'm ready that night to sit down to tie those, all I have to do is simply reach over, grab a piece of dubbing, put it on the hook that's already prepared, right? So when you're tying large amounts, it's, it's 
pretty prep beneficial. Work, prep work is huge. Your prep work is there, but it's also it's it's very beneficial to me to do them in stages. Yeah. Right? Because if you sit there and you tie one fly all the way through, you you know, from start to finish, you start to lose your love of that in a hurry and it almost becomes more mindless to me and you you don't hurt yourself mentally quite so bad if it's yeah. just if it's rapid, mm-hmm. real so, rapid. So that's a question. I think I've asked Greg this before, not on the podcast, but like, would you rather have an order of 24 of the same fly or uh, a dozen, a dozen different flies, like as a two-pack each, right? Like a pair of each. Yeah, so I am a little bit different than Greg because yeah. I think you sell three of everything. Like, you have to order three of the same fly. Yeah, and like, even if... If it's a big order, like, I'll let people just put in two. Because I would rather have two. I'd rather have a dozen patterns of two each, yeah. you know. Because I just hate, I hate doing the same thing over and over and over. You know, so. I, just, I, mean, I can't do it. I just can't do it. So here's the thing to me. Like, yeah. I don't care what somebody orders. If you want to, if you, if you place an order with me and you want 24 different jig nymphs in there, that's perfectly fine with me because when I go to tie your order, I'm actually going to tie half dozen of each one of those as I go along mm-hmm. because I know that somewhere down the road, those are going to go back that out the door That was a big again. question that I actually had for, for both of you guys. Like, do you ever just tie a bunch of one thing and be like, okay, there's my stock and I can reach into it? <laughs> Only when you have time. <laughs> yeah, that's good point. Yeah, like, that's good point. No, never. No, never. No, never. No, no. no, no. <laughs> Like, you have a fly box to just reach into and be like, hey, there's six of them. Nope. Yeah, no, never. Three three years in a row I've said I'm going to sit down in the summertime and I'm going to tie a thousand near enough smelts so that when the first part of the season comes around, at least the first seven weeks of tying for me is taken care of. Yep. It never happens. I don't have time. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions based off of this still, but um, how, are you, like, how are your flies better than – you know, going up to a place like L.O.B. and grabbing them out of the box or, like, going on, going online and buying, you know, go to one of those companies and buy 60-cent nymphs each or whatever. Yeah. Like, what's the difference in those flies versus the ones you take? Well, the main difference, so I'll start, that's a two, you have multiple two questions in there. Can I, I'll, I'll attack the, the <laughs> yeah. first. The big Y fly, for me, durability. Yeah. I know that mine and I know that Nate's are going to last you much longer. Yeah. Um, I also know that the hooks that I'm using are higher quality, mm-hmm. which is a huge, that's a, that's like the big difference for yeah. me is the type of hook. So one, you know, unless it's requested, I'm pretty much going to give you a barbless hook and it's going to be really high quality. Yeah. At L.L. Bean, it's going to be tougher to find barbless and the hook is going to be some crap hook that's cheap, yeah. you know, and, and whatever. Um, as far as like, the look and stuff, Ello Bean has fine flies. Like, my caddis doesn't look any better than, than Ello Bean's caddis. Sure. You know, they look, they all look the same, roughly. And, like, does a fish, you know, is it even, for me, like, flies, is it even that important to have the perfect-looking fly? You yeah. know, like, Nate's flies are perfect, you know? Right. Does it matter if one of his wraps are slightly off? Yeah. You know? No, it doesn't really. It probably doesn't matter all that much. However, Ello Bean, you can't customize anything. Right. So let's say I want a, you know, I sell, like, Nate sells a zillion near enough smelts. I sell a zillion hotspot caddis. They have the little orange top on them. If a customer wants the orange spot to be really little or really big, I've had some people that just say, I just want orange. I don't want a head at all. I just want orange. You can do that, and I can do that for you. You can't do that 
at L.L. Bean. You can't do that anywhere. Yeah. So, Nate, the, you know, someone goes to Nate and says, hey, I want, uh, I want a gold bead, and then I want a black bead. You know, L.L. Bean can't provide that service for you. Yeah. And that is what makes, that's the, for me, that's the biggest difference. And a lot of these flies that you exactly. can buy, like from L.L. Bean or like a mm-hmm. big white fly or whatever, like they're not area specific either. No, like a green, like a green drake in Montana, does look different than a green drake we have here. I mean, sure. it's probably not, yeah, huge difference. No, no, but, but yeah. at the end of the day, you know, you're just kind of, you're you're talking to people who fish here, right, and live here, and like they have more specific flies. Yeah, yeah. The, the other thing about that to me too is, you know, my name is on that fly. Greg's name is on his fly, and. If I send something out the door, I'm not going to send it out the door thinking that it's, you know, my name doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? Where these guys who are tying flies, getting flies from overseas, you know, that individual who's tying the fly is just there to make their money tying the fly. They don't care who it's going to. They don't care what's going to happen to it after the they fact. They probably don't even fish. They don't even, 99% likelihood that they don't fish exactly. they probably don't even understand what the pattern is that they're tying probably you know so to <laughs> me to me one of the biggest things that i like to say to people is you know every thread wrap counts mm-hmm. so greg is right like if i have a thread wrap that's out of place i'm the only one who's going to notice it mm-hmm. and it bugs the hell out of me you as the as the general fisherman probably aren't going to notice it and you're not going to say anything but if you it's the pride, I guess, is yeah, where I'm going with this. Sure. You know, if you take pride in your work and you do good work, it it reflects in the outcome of, of what well, happens. It's super popular. And, and like, yeah. even regular flies at fly shops and all that stuff, like, the price has gone up on them mm-hmm. in the last few years. It, tremendously. Tremendously. But at the end of the day, you know, what are you paying for? You, you, want, to pay for, you want to pay for quality. You're not always going to yeah. get that. And I'm not saying fly shops are bad. A lot of fly shops are people tying locally on, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say more so now than, than than ever before. before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I obviously stand out Eldridge brothers has, has had people tying for them forever down there, you know, but to it, and it's hard for a fly shop to, to not be suckered into those Montana fly deals and, and all those things where they can buy flies cheap and and make some profit off of them. But there is, you're hundred percent right. There's something to be said about walking into a, a locally tied shop. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I, used, I mean, I remember the fly shop I used to go to here in Maine and I would get flies that I was like, man, this looks different than what you get online or LOB yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. And then to me in that region, they literally fish better because you had people who were like, yeah, I fish here all the time and mm-hmm. this has worked for me. And like yes. now as a fly tire, and I know you guys obviously have done this, but there are flies that I tie now that I don't find them in fly shops. I mean, to me, it's like, yeah, this looks exactly like what I see in the river. I'm tying exactly this. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And we kind of do those things. The other thing that I get a lot is, Hey, I'm new. I want to buy flies from you. What do you suggest? Yeah. And that's another thing that stands out. Nate and I have both fished from top to bottom. We fished a lot. Nate's, you know, got 10 years on me and has, 10 times the experience, you know? So like we've all done our fishing in the big regions where most people are going. And so we know what works. So whenever somebody comes to me and says, Hey, you know, I don't really know what I want, but I want a trout selection, you know, of dry flies. And I want to go fish the Rangeley region. Okay. I can whip up six to 12 patterns that I have used and have caught fish there and have worked well for me. Here you go. Here they are. Yeah. You know, so that's another thing that, you know, if you go to, L.L. Bean and are like, hey, I'm going to fish the Rangeley region. They're going to hand you 
their stock caddis, which, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a little lighter than the ones that pop off on Rangeley, or maybe it's not as, you know, maybe it's too dark, or maybe, you know, sure. whatever. You know, there are just little nuances that your local tires know who fish a lot that you won't find at those big stores. You right. know, the, the smaller shops like Eldridge Bros, they'll be able to help you out. You know, they'll be yeah. able to point you in the right direction. But the bigger ones, the Cabela's and stuff, they have little to no chance of helping you because they probably don't have the selection out front of them to, to do so. Right. Or, or they're going to sell you whatever they think you need because they have too much of it in the shop. Right. Good point. Right. right. This right. pattern's not yeah. being carried anymore by Montana Fly, so, right. you know, let's let's push it to get it out of here, out of the inventory. Mm-hmm. and. You know, that you're 100% right. If you seek out a local who ties flies and does it well, they're they're going to push you in the right direction for yeah, what you need. For and, sure. And there have been guys locally that have been tying flies well before social media. Right? Oh, oh, heck yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, well right. before. And you would, like, you'd, you'd hear about, I remember when I first started out in, like, 08, 09, I'd hear about these guys, but it was, like, there was no social media. It was like, yeah. oh, yeah, you got to... He's got a little shop up in such and such or yeah. whatever, and you yeah. got to go to his house or whatever. And it's like, oh man, this is crazy. And there, there are still guys that do that. Yep, there are crazy. still guys in northern Maine that that don't have social media and don't have the reach, but they don't need it because right, right. they've got they've got their local connection of people that are like, yeah. man, that's what I go to. Yeah. yeah, this he's the only one who can tie this fly the that's way right. that I want that's it. Right, which is great. Yeah, and that those like, you get, you know, every. Small fly tire, I'm sure, has repeat customers who are like, man, I did really well with your flies. I want more, yep. you know? And that's great. That makes you super happy. When I'm fly. the best thing I like to get is a picture of a fish or someone to say, hey, I use your flies and, you know, I did a really good job. You know, I yeah. caught a bunch of fish. And that's like, that's <laughs> like the only reason that I, you know, I do it. It's, yep. it's like, that's so gratifying. You're like, oh, you know what? Well, maybe tying those 24 straight flies was worth it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's something yeah. you've said to me plenty of times too. It's like, you like to get feedback from people because otherwise oh, yeah. no one oh. says anything back. So people are listening to whoever ordered flies from somebody, like get back to them. And yeah. like, if something hasn't worked or whatever, I mean, I'm sure you'll get a lot of those like, oh, this fly didn't work very well or I didn't catch anything on it. But give that, I mean, these guys want that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. Good yeah. or like, bad. Especially the feedback that I wish I got more of was, like, how I could make the fly better. Yep. Because, you know, let's say whatever, you know, oh, yeah, I caught fish or whatever, or, you know, this one didn't or whatever. But, like, okay, how how would you have made it better? And the issue with that, I suppose, is people don't know, I guess. They don't have the knowledge to give it Probably back, no. to say, hey, like, I could make this better. But there are things, like, I was, um, I was using a leech... Or I was tying a leech for people, or for one person, actually. They wanted a longer one, but a shorter shank, you know? Yep. And I was like, all right, this is what they wanted. So I, you know, I sold it to them, and then I started using it, and it fouled a lot. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like, yep. damn, this is going to foul for them all yeah. the time. And by you know? foul, you mean that the tail was, like, wrapping around? Like yes. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't swimming. You know, it would get wrapped around, and it wouldn't swim sure. right. And so I was like, hmm, you know, and I never, ever heard from them you know and i was like i wonder if that happened to them yeah you know i, I just yeah. i don't know like i don't know i could, yeah you know, and i want that feedback or i'd be like hey i you know i'll give you some with a longer shank but i just i never heard try back from them yeah and kind of, we're kind of talking about fly design here a little bit too and so i have a funny question on fly design like and there are some flies <laughs> that when i fish them it makes my tippet really twisty especially if i'm fishing like 5x or something 
Mostly dry. We're talking dry flies. Stimulators. Mostly stimulators. <laughs> why is that? Like, what is? Why is that? That's a question I've always had, and I've never gotten an answer. I don't think I've ever asked anybody qualified. So, either of you know? Do you want to? Go, you can go ahead and start. You I got a lot. I got a lot to fly, add to so. it. So, I, well, so it's all about aerodynamics and how it flies through the air. Yeah. And also, you have to be careful on the end of your swing because if it's like, depending on. If it's sitting in the water mm. and it has a certain design, it will spin in the water. And so if you're letting it like sit at the end of your drift or something, twisting just twisting it up. Yeah. Yes. The same thing happens in the air. Because the air... Notice that. It's just spinning. Yes. Uh, yes. The air... Yes. The air and the water are... They're the same medium. Just, you know, one is water, one is air. So the way that your fly is getting pulled through the water, the same exact thing is going to happen when it's flying through the air. It'll have the same dynamics. So. Yes. If it's spinning in the water, yeah. it's going to spin in the air. Why well. just that one fly, though? The head of it? Yeah. The hackle wraps? Yeah. And the way that... It's like an airplane, essentially. Yeah, but right? there are other flies that have the hackle wraps like that. Not but, on the head, though. And and not a, a not as stiff of a wing like that, either. Mm. And as large of a wing as mm-hmm. that has. Yeah. You know, because most, most stimulators are more on the large size mm-hmm. to, to be sure, after this a stone fly or, or yeah yeah you want to fix it take the hackle off the front of the head that will fix your problem oh interesting so just, just I, it back. all of my simulators i have no hackle on the head yeah i've never sold one like that because people expect the hackle to be on the head yeah but i take the hackle off and it still it still spins a little bit because the wing is so big that it yeah. just it catches that air yeah and if the wing isn't like think about it if the wing is not perfect then the air is going to fall to one side. Yes. And so if it falls to the right, right? Yeah. Then if it's catching it, it will drag it. Or if it catches to the right and kind of goes underneath it, it will push it to the left. So either way, if it's not like a perfect wing, which I don't know if a perfect wing exists in a stimulator, (laughs) like a sheer, you know, perfect wing, it will pull it to one side. But if you take the hackle off the front, that will alleviate the spinning in the water a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. No, I mean, it still is not perfect, but it will help a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm really glad you brought this up because it's it, well, it's fly design. It's one of those things that so I see it I see it a lot. I I have a big pet peeve about overmaterialing flies, uh, incorrect proportions of materials that are on flies, and that all affects how that fly fishes for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, suppose right? you fish stuff and it'll tip over. Yes, if you're tying a dry you tie in a dry fly and and please don't anybody take offense to this because it does cross that line into something that's beautiful on that borderline of art. You know, some of these dry flies you see on, on Instagram that have 25 wraps of, of perfectly placed hackle on the front mm-hmm. of them, they're not going to fish well for you. No, no. At all. Flip over. And they're going to ride on their nose, right? Mm-hmm. And the, it's the same thing with wings on, on dry flies. If your wings are not tied proportionally right to the body, it's going to tip on its face. Yeah. And they're... There are patterns out there that are designed to be fished that way. I'm not going to dive dive into that piece of it. Like, you can offset the size of wings to tip flies on its side to make it look like a cripple, sure. right? Let's jump all the way back into um, the, the woolly bugger. Have you ever had a woolly bugger spin on you going through the water? Have you ever had... I, ever, so. I mean, I think so. Have you ever pulled it up out of it and your, your tippet's yeah. kind of all... yeah. That's in the materials. Yeah, the stimulator is not the only fly. That that's in the lot. materials that's used in the 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 hackling of that woolly bugger. Right. It's in proportionate to what it should be on the fly. Yeah. If you look at the way that 
the rules for hackling flies. Get your, we'll go back to the tools. Get yeah. yourself a hackle gauge, yeah. right? Your hackle does not want to be any bigger than the gap of the hook. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Mm. So when you see people who tie woolly buggers and they've got these fabulous, giant, big, fat feathers over them, mm. they look great. And sometimes they fish great, but that's not the, the true beginnings of the woolly bugger, mm. right? Interesting. And, you know, every fly pattern out there has been, has been changed and, and varied over years and, and taken advantage of in certain ways to change it to make it look better and mm. fish better. And, but there was a reason why those flies were so popular in the beginning because they worked and fundamentally they were tied correctly. Yep. And even like, you can get even more, I mean, I don't know how specific you want to get, but there's like different types of hackle that you can use that affect the way things fish. Well, they have like literally woolly bugger hackle versus just using like saddle hackle. Even, even deeper than that, even within the woolly bugger saddle yeah. there are different types of hackle on that saddle yes some have softer fibers some yeah. are stiffer fibers and that will also affect how things swim so like my when i fish my woolly buggers when i time for my own personal box i like to use a softer fiber yeah i like I, I don't know why i've just had more success and i don't get as much it just it rides better for me yes you have softer hackle and I but think it doesn't look as nice as the traditional. I would say no. Here. It does not look as it does yeah. not look as nice because it's not as clean. The fibers are soft and they're kind of. You I know, think this is why I'm able to catch fish. None of my flies look like they're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> so like you can get really in the stiffer fibers push more water because they don't allow the water to push them. They yeah. push the water, so that manipulates yeah. your fly. So I always use softer hackle on like my if I'm using hackle on a bait fish. Yeah. If I'm using hackle on any type of streamer that's going to be submerged. And you see it on a lot of the old Atlantic salmon flies. None of them have really stiff hackle. No, like a that's stiff, very true. None of, they all have the soft, because it helps it ride. The soft fibers allow the water to push them rather than pushing water. Yes. So that, you know, you can get really, really, fly design, you can go down into a deep, dark rabbit hole if you want. I love seeing some <laughs> of those old, like, like, wet flies that people would tie. Like, they just take, like, a... Like a, they call it like a Hendrickson emerger pattern. It was like this. It was this very like they use like wood duck feather or something, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Look way different than something you would commercially buy today. And oh, oh. but it's cool to me. I like those little flies because they weren't pretty. Yes, they're not pretty, but well, they got you, the job done. You can go back to like fifteen hundreds, sixteen hundreds, and people, you know, the complete angler. That book I remember we talked about the complete angler. Yeah. That has recipes for flies, and you're like what what <laughs> you're like you know it's like you know they're like oh you know six wraps of horse hair on here and you know you're like what is this even gonna look like you yeah know, like what yeah, is yeah. this looking like but they're you know they're using them and they're catching fish with them yeah. and so it's it's interesting it's interesting it, for sure it yeah and i'm gonna dive into that again too because it, you look at a lot of the classic mainstreamer flies that get tied now that are being posted online and i think they get changed and tweaked over time and a lot of it is material based. Um, you know, there's a big, big discussion out there about Carrie Stevens, gray ghost and what the true color of the, the, the wing for her original fly was. And, and I probably don't really need to say this, but I'm going to anyway, the, the red band wrap on the front that was proprietary to Carrie Stevens. And the rights to that actually still belongs to the Hilliard family. So every time you replicate that fly and you put that red band on there, you're actually stealing somebody else's 
Interesting. I've never tied a gray ghost for that red band. I neither have I. I've actually never done the red band because it's just an extra step. I yeah. don't think it's necessary. So it, it, but, right. but that's interesting. I didn't know it's, that. So that, that it's, and you know. Would you be sued? The, no, no. <laughs> Christ, no. Yeah. So, you know, you, you kind of step, I don't know, it, if you can step back in time and look at some of the older books, like Bates Stream or Fly book, yep. and read the read the way that the pattern was tied originally, or as a close to as the original tire tied them, you know, through Bates Vision, it, your flies are going to be vastly different than what you see that people are offering now. Yep. And I know a lot of it has to do with material changes, but um, you know. The other portion about it to me is is call the fly what it is, and it's 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 a variation. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Oh yeah, it's not. I'm not tying gray ghosts. I'm tying gray ghost variations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's like, and uh, to me, that's also you know a big part of paying respect to those that became that came before us and developed these patterns. And you know, if you try and get a pattern picked up by a large company, we'll just we'll throw the O word out there, yeah. um, you can submit your fly pattern to Orvis and they put it through the ringer to make sure that it is not just another pheasant tail. Yeah. It's not just another hare's ear and that it's not been produced before. Yeah. And it in an extensive search. And from what I gather, the, the gentleman that does this will have thousands of flies come across his desk that he just pushes off into a file onto the side because he automatically knows it's not going to qualify. Yeah. It's, this is called, (laughs) it's a circular filing cabinet, but you know, it's, it's, it's a variation of something else and you've got to call it what it is and you got to pay the respect that's, that's due to those things out there. It's really hard to tie something that's never been tied. I, I don't even think, I don't even know if it's possible. I don't know it is. if it's possible. It, it it's is. So it's very, very tough to do. You know yeah. what I mean? Because like, and then when you get into it, everything, you can think of, oh boy, if you think that you're the first to do it, it's tough to be like, boy, am I really the first to do this exactly? Like, is this so yeah. unique? Like, it's right. very tough. The, <laughs> but, you know, the classics, speaking about the classics, there's a great guy, if you're interested in that stuff, like the classics, a guy named uh, Fred Klein. I think is his name grizzly king flies yes yep he he ties some very beautiful and he takes it from the old books yes he you know, does he goes yeah. from the old books and he follows the patterns and they are much different yes they look different they're just different there's something that we would know the name of it but it's not the look that we would oh, recognize yeah. and yes. so you know because he goes from the originals he tries to find the original books and He's great. He's a phenomenal. He's very, very precise and takes some really, really nice photos. And uh, and yeah. So if you're yeah, Grizzly, what is it? Grizzly, Grizzly King. Grizzly King. Yeah. And yeah. and Fred. Fred Fred's a stand up dude. He lives yep. down in PA and he mm-hmm. fishes Maine. He fishes the Rangeley region of Maine every year up until yeah. COVID hit this last yeah, year. Discussion on Instagram a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, he's like a really he's a stand up yeah. dude, and you know he he knows his business when it comes to those yes, those older does. patterns. Yep. Yeah, so, he sure does. So earlier, and something I've always, like, since I've gotten to know you, it's kind of funny thing that Greg also alluded to. Like, when you tie certain patterns, are you like, okay, this is going to be uh, 13 thread reps here, starting one-eighth <laughs> of the way back from the, Like, do you memorize thread wraps and, like, wraps of stuff? No, no I don't. But or do you, or hold on, let me finish the question also. 
Do you have recipes that you write down, or are you just like any fly that you tie? You're like you memorize. You think this is it. Julia Child's cooking? <laughs> I, don't I, don't have, I don't have recipes. You do it so much. <laughs> Listen, uh, okay. How do you are, like know where to go pull from? Like you don't just go watch YouTube videos about stuff. No, I don't. Tie no, shit, no, so. it's it's all in my head. Movies, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Crazy. It, if I okay, I'm so really no recipes. Like you never no. write down. Okay. Like, all right, this, uh, so are, are you referring to all the stuff that I post on Instagram? Well, people always have recipes when they post a lot. Yeah. Most times. Most part. On, I, on YouTube or wherever. I will tell you, I, I will admit this right now to the entire listening audience, mm-hmm. that out of the last 50 or 60 flies that I have posted on Instagram, I maybe have taken an order for one of those flies. Interesting. You tie so much, it's ridiculous. Okay. So, so ridiculous. And, and I, I'm pretty sure that I said this the other day, because you were asking uh, when I did the Instagram Live with Main Fly Company about, you know, what is your favorite fly to tie and what's your least favorite fly to tie. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm so sick and tired of jig flies. I started out with big, meaty flies. Yeah. And I tie a ton of big, meaty flies, but I don't post that stuff on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't share my orders that I tie for people on Instagram it to me it's just always been and there's nothing against doing that it's just to me it's always been that personal connection that I have with a person that wants to order flies yeah, and yeah. frankly I don't have time to take pictures of every every single order that I tie yeah, yeah. but you do uh, we talked about this before though it's like you do put this kind of pressure on yourself to like think of a basically a new fly yeah. every day or you take like like your jig nymphs, oh my god, you've been posting them every day for the last two years or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's like you're always trying to come up with some different variation. I am. It's just a creativity so thing. So you, yeah, it is. And it is. It's a way for me to take the the 50 flies I've tied before it or the 150 that I have to tie after it and get that mental break. Yeah. Right? And I can sit there at the vise and I, I can tie that whatever pattern that I want to call it and I don't what time of the day are you tying this fly at well it depends fly of the day (laughs) so listen so sometimes sometimes I'll have time to tie them at night and and I can take the pictures and post them the next day there are times that we have a brand new puppy and we're up at four o'clock in the morning and I go in and sit down at my vice and I've got time and I tie a fly to, to post, I take pictures and I start tying, you know, orders. You guys are both like social media. Not, like you post something on education almost every day. Pretty much, yeah. And then you post something fly related every day. Like, <laughs> I try to just like repost stuff that other people are doing, especially people associated with, with the podcast. I get exhausted just doing it maybe like once or twice a week. <laughs> sure. You guys are like multiple times a day. I, I guarantee you, like me, that Nate has a system Yeah. and it makes it a little easier. It's still a lot of work, don't get me wrong. You still need to have the pictures and make sure, you know, they're set up right. And, you know, for flies, like, I don't take as many fly pictures as, as he does, but, you know, there's a system that I have that I can just go to and yeah. set it up. Boom, it's very streamlined, yeah. all set, you know. So it, you're doing it, I would say, in probably not as an efficient way as we are, but that's because no. we're doing it every day so if you yeah, were to right. try to do it every day you would quickly learn I there's guy want to there's better ways to do it. you know <laughs> it's yeah, oh yeah it's I, not you know it's not for everyone for sure but no. you guys you guys are putting out quality content and you're you know it's all it's almost like do you feel like it's almost an expectation sometimes though 
It's like, oh, shoot, Nathan yeah. posts his fly of the day. What's going on? Okay? <laughs> yeah, I do. And uh, and honestly, there are times, like, if you don't see a fly from me in the morning or during the day, it's because there's something else that's hectic that's going on in my life. And yep. I'm sorry, but social media is not, you know, what no, a lot of other people treat it as. It, yep. It's a secondary or not even a secondary thing yeah, yeah. to me. And and I, there's just days that I don't do it. Yep. And now that I have two separate pages that I'm kind of managing one of them. I I'm trying to consume more time on than my own personal one. And, you know, but for me, if I, if I had to spend more than 15 minutes tying a fly, photographing it and putting it onto Instagram, that's 15 minutes. I could have been spending tying something else for somebody else. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. And so, yeah, same. I don't like, for me, I basically, I mean, just real quick, I guess I get everything ready on Sunday. Yeah, so I take an hour, I get everything ready on Sunday. So I literally wake up, copy a message, paste it, put the photo in, post. Nice. That's it. Yeah. So it takes me, I spend about one minute a day on it. That On Sunday, I usually take an hour just to make sure everything's ready. And that way I spend literally one minute a day. Yep. yep. And then I'll post something, you know, a story or whatever, a fly or something that I'm tying or something. But, um, but yeah, that's that's the way to do it. I had another question for you that I've never asked, and I don't think it exists. Have you ever made a fly tying video? Yes. You posted it. I have not posted it. <laughs> Interesting. I have. I know made... Greg does them all the time. No, no. I have made fly tying videos, but I did them through all points. Oh, I through see. Josh. Yeah. yeah. So right. you know, Josh. Josh was able to do the videoing and and editing and all that stuff. And I've actually talked to Greg about. Mm-hmm doing videos and I actually have a subscription to Lightroom and and do have a camera that I can do all this stuff with but I I don't know what it is that makes me not want to do videos. Well, if you're so busy already, like if you were if you needed more business. Yeah, but I I could take the Maybe it's a way to promote yourself a little bit. I'm sure I could take the time to shoot a video in between doing some of the other stuff that I do, but Right. I've been asked to do videos. People want to know how to tie a near like, enough I look at him, there. and it's a great it's a great promotional thing for main fly guys. Where, f- he, where like, I'll go watch his fly tying videos, and I'm like, man, I don't think I can tie that, but that's a sweet fly. So I'm yeah. going to be like, Greg, can I get those in the most? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a great like little marketing strategy in some ways, whether you're doing it directly or not. It, you know? it, yeah, I'm not doing it for marketing. I just do it because I, I like to watch other people's videos. Me too. And I, I just enjoy it. And it's also free information. I'm a huge, like, free education, yeah. free information. Yeah. Like, you know, just, hey, if you get, awesome. if anyone wants to know how I tie any fly, yeah. I'll, I'll tell them for no cost. Like, yes. I'll just be like, here's how I do it. Here's what I use. And Yeah. You know, I've probably shit. tied, like, 10 flies from your channel in the last nice. year. I, I, a lot of people do reach out and they say, oh, I get a lot of comments on it. And it's nice. And that's why I put it up there so yeah. people can, can do that. That's, that's okay. why. The, the thing I will say about videos, they're... A pain yeah, to make. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I would love to pump out one every week. Yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah. It's, I don't have that time. Yeah. Like yeah. It, they, you need to do it. And then the chance you get it right on the first take, slim. Like to be perfect and everything go, it's slim. So like what you're seeing is usually not the, usually I'll do like three flies in a row and I'm recording the whole time. Yep. And so I'll do three of the same exact fly, and I'll say the same exact things, and I'll do the same exact things. Whichever one comes out the best, I'll be like, okay, that's the one I want to yeah, use. that makes sense. Then you need to go in. You need to edit the video. You usually, like if I have a long pause, you know, something that's repetitive, speed I'll speed it up. You have to cut it up. You have to have an intro, an outro. It's like, it's, it's time consuming. It so is. it's like... 
but it's really great quality. Oh, it's cool. It's yeah, good it's, con- it's good content. Yeah, you know? it's cool. But you know, again, if I had someone to do the editing and stuff, I'd probably make more. If yeah, I could be uh, like you know here, you know here, do the editing. Then, yeah. You know, well, my favorite part about it is that I know you, so if those flies that I tied don't catch fish, I right. have someone I can actually yell at. It's great. <laughs> Never blame, never blame the arrow, right? Yeah. Never blame the arrow. That yeah, is, there's that. There's know. a fly shop out west that I, I wish, I had come up with this before. They did it's so cool that they that they kind of patented it, but it's, it's not the fly. You suck. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. That I love that. I think it's a fantastic That's thing. True. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. that's true. It's. It, I think it's pretty awesome. So, mm-hmm. um, just to talk about jig nymphs really quick, mm-hmm. I know that you don't really, Greg, don't really fish, split shot. Never. Like at all. Never. Nope, never. And jig nymphs are, like, how long has tungsten, how long have tungsten beads been out? That's kind of my question, because that seems to be taking the place of split shot a lot. Tungsten beads? Yeah, like forever? Oh, God. Yeah. But they just seem more popular in the last seven or eight years. Like, I wasn't finding a lot of tungsten bead, you, you know why especially you're, jig patterns. You know why you're finding more of them is because there's more companies that are manufacturing them now. Makes sense. And with I colors will, in them, too. Like well, and I will, I will throw this out there. Um, fire hole or whatever. You got to be very careful what you buy for tungsten beads because that old adage of what you pay for is what you get. For yeah. sure. Um, not everybody who markets a tungsten bead actually has a high quality of tungsten in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a gram scale, and oh, nice. I have Where, actually yeah. taken and yeah. started weighing beads from different companies. Mm-hmm. And where Ooh. that where that came about was I was contacted by a, by another company. <laughs> no, like, no, no. I'd like to see that data. Yeah, because <laughs> so, that would help me. Like, so here's here's what it, here's what it boiled down to. I was asked by another company that I'm associated with to talk a little bit more about beads, particularly when it comes to jig flies and, and my likes and dislikes about different beads. So when I went out, I, I bought as many different types of beads as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a gram scale at the time, but I tied with those beads and I was able to give them my opinion and feedback on slot size, whether it's a round hole in the front where it goes to the eye or if it's actually a true slot, like a fire hole mm-hmm. um, stone is, mm. um, you know, the big piece to me was like, you know what? You don't really know the quality of this bead until you can put the weight factor into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I went out and bought a gram scale and have weighed different beads. That's really good. Now, the the other thing that goes into that, though, is the coating that goes onto a bead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some beads, some natural beads of the same size that are compared to a, a coated bead, like a powder-coated bead, the powder-coated bead's going to weigh a bit more. Right. Is it, does it matter overall? No, because you could offset that weight with uh, some type of buoyant material that you put onto the fly. Well, right. most, most jig hooks, too, though, you don't have to have a slotted tungsten. You can actually just put, like, a regular tungsten bead on it. Yeah. Properly sized, yes. Yeah. yeah. See, what I what I don't like about the slotted is when I tie them, I hate that gap at the top. I feel like it's awkward. And sometimes people fill it with, like... You're filling with UV, or UV UV resin, right? yeah. yeah, and like get off the epoxy train, whatever it is. Go, I, to, go to UV, <laughs> all right. Go to UV. I'm on UV. <laughs> get off the epoxy. I, it was what came to my mind. Yeah, yeah. Yes, wait, I wait, just wait. feel like you're missing the question here. You're missing it right now. What? Which beads are the heaviest beads that you're hunting for? <laughs> okay, so Greg just wants to know this. Go buy yourself a gram scale and find out. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh my God. Boom roasted. I. Like Real quick, I buy a lot of my beads. I guess this is a, I buy a lot of Firehole. I've had, I've liked Firehole, but now it's making me wonder. 
I don't really buy from elsewhere because they've I've been happy with them. So I guess well, sweet design, you know, great I, color what, selection. I mean, uh, but I'm now I'm wondering. I'm like, well, geez, and they're not. I they're not overly. Oh God, where did their price rank? I guess they're not overly expensive because you get. Yeah, no, no. You, they, you're they getting more. You're getting yeah. more beads. Yeah, you're than more what beads. you would from yes. like yeah. a hairline yeah. package. So yeah. okay, Greg, you are not off. Stick with who you are working with. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right, all right. You're making so, me question my whole life. No, no. You're making me question my whole life. So where... Stay true to your heart, Greg. Yeah, no, no. I, so, like, I get, I get... I have some beads from Firehole. So I tie a stonefly, which... Uh, uh, a nymph, a stonefly nymph, which you've bought some. Yeah. The so brown head ones. ones. They yes. look great. And those brown heads, I like the best. They are from Firehole. I buy the gold, my gold ones from Hairline because they have, they're just shinier. They have like a, a certain shine to them that I haven't been able to well, find. Well, the brown elsewhere. is also slotted. Am I wrong? That one is not. No, no it's I don't not think okay. it is. Okay. No, no. But it's got a speckled on it. It's got like a pumpkin speckle. It, I just like the look of it. The gold ones, I have been, it's been hard to replicate the ones from Hairline. They just have a certain tint that other gold ones I have been having a hard time finding. I'm going to weigh them. I have a gram scale. Okay. I have to now. I've never okay. even thought about it, but you want the quickest way to figure this out? Yeah. Look at the look at the construction of the back of that bead. Look at the back of the hairline bead. Sure. When you look at that, you will see how large that tapered slot is in the yeah. back of that bead. Yeah. Every bit of tapered slot is there that takes away from mm-hmm. the weight of the that bead. Yeah, that's a good. Point. Okay. Yep. The other thing about that too is that bead design uh really plays in when you slide a, a larger size bead over the top of your hook and get it on there. You get mm-hmm. that wobble that, that yep. flops back and yep. forth. Yep. That can be a pain for people to fill and, and to figure out how to get it to look right on a fly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, kudos to Firehole. Their, their, stick, their, their stones are great. Yeah. They really are. Yeah, I like um, And, you know, you're not far off. Yeah. Where, where the gram scale really comes in to play is – you find somebody on Amazon that's going to sell you a hundred slotted beads yes. that are tungsten and yep. they're only going to charge you fifteen ninety five. Right, right, right. You're going to get those to the house and you're going to realize that they're brass. Yes. They are. They're, yeah. They're yeah. not, they're they, not tungsten. They say tungsten, but they're 5% tungsten. Yes. And, you know, yeah. not, yeah, yes, and, yeah. And in the, the. It's crazy the weight difference in like a brass versus the. Oh, oh yes. yeah, of course. You, know, it's not, yeah. a, a you can hundred, literally feel in your hand. Oh, in your hand. Yeah, of course. Yeah. hundred, percent yeah. you the average fisherman, the average tire out there is not going to notice the the percentage of weight difference between different types of beads. For sure. I agree. Let me answer this question. Agree. Do either of you even use breast beads at all anymore? Yes. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. For what? For like a merger type pattern? Stuff you don't want to sink, sink quickly? Does that make sense? A lot of my midges, yep. I, do, I don't use tungsten because it's so small. True. And then how I'm fishing them. If I'm True. if I want a mid, yeah, you can't buy tungsten like for a size twenty hook. Y- y- you can. Yeah, you can. You can. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. But what's uh, it doesn't make a difference for me if I want to fish a midge deep, then I'm gonna trail it behind something heavy. Exactly. And so like I usually for my midges I usually only use brass for like my really small yeah, stuff. Yes. Yeah. Brass or glass, yeah. and then for a lot of like woolly buggers mm. that I don't want to plummet. So if I yes. want them to stay like up, yes, upper, then I'll use brass. You yeah. know, so it depends. About ba- a balanced leech, right? Balanced leech. I don't want that to plummet. You know, so there's like, I don't. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of patterns. For me, it's where do I want to fish them? Yep. 
like a, uh, a soft tackle. It, I'll put a little tiny brass bead on it, like behind the um, behind the soft tackle. Yeah, wrap. just kind of make up a thorax or something. Yeah, like and it. so that will make it instead of riding directly in the film, it might ride now one inch below the film. Yeah, you know, and that sometimes can it's, make all. It's the more of that's a great that, little that flimp style. Yes, the half yes. fly that's half a great style. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. do that. I love. And I've had a lot more success, I feel like, on soft tackles when they have a little bead behind the... For sure. I think the, uh, a fish is more tackle. willing to go and hit a fly that's one inch below the water yep. than right in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, I just... Yep. It's, it's less distance. And a lot more flies are in that zone anyways, you know. Uh, lessering proved that with a lessering lift. Famous yes. famous form of, of mm-hmm. fishing flies from yep. from above. You know, you skating caddis across the surface with a with a... A dropper below it, as mm-hmm. some sort of a merger. Every time you lift that rod, that fly yep. comes up, and the fish, True. Yep. the fish is going to hit it before it gets to the surface. Right. Yep. Now, my next question: I'm going to ruffle a lot of feathers up there when I talk about this because I think <laughs> I think you and I, I love you know <laughs> me, I love stirring the pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it. guy. Well, I'm an instigator. Yeah, yeah, sure. You should see my dog. He's an instigator too. Just let everyone <laughs> just just let everyone know. Aaron has finished his one beer, so he's feeling a little frisky. Feeling good. He's feeling, feeling good. A little yeah. frisky. It's the only, dude, it's the only first one I've had in a month. Hopefully, you don't delete this podcast. That would be good. Okay, let's try to keep that. <laughs> let's try to keep that on there. Come on, I was gonna talk. About, I was gonna talk about birding. And okay, go ahead. Ruff, ruffle your feathers. Yeah, go ahead. Ruffle your feathers. We can talk about go birding. Ahead. Feel free. <laughs> this guy's a birder. I right. love birding. I know you do. I don't want to go there with this one. One. I get too many great questions to ask. One. Birds and feathers? Fly tying? I know, but going to the top. Listen, I love <clears> birds. <throat> they're great for nature. I understand okay. sure. it. They're really cool. They can fly, which is amazing. Probably sure. the coolest skill in the world, right? Sure. It's fly. Very, yeah, it's neat. Okay. But really quickly, cool too, but. standing on top of a mountain and arguing with other people through binoculars about what type of bird it is in the sky is a stupid activity. I'm just throwing it out there. Sure, I agree. That's my opinion, and I'm sorry if there's any birders listening. However, I'll say that... If this wasn't my controversial topic. <laughs> I was though. like, where I'll are we going with this? If you're <laughs> arguing, then you're not a good birder, because you should be able to ID it. Yeah. You know, like, I would never argue with anyone. I would tell them what it is. But I've seen people doing this, and I'm going, this is the biggest waste of time. Sure, those people are idiots, and that's fine. You know, they're idiots <laughs> out there. You know, but true birders, they don't argue. They know. They know. You know they know. <laughs> They don't even need to see it. They can just see its flight pattern. You know, like I could pick off 50 birds just based off how it's flying. Yeah. Or its call. You know, I know like 100 calls. I was literally somewhere very remote in Maine where we didn't see people for like two days. And then out of nowhere, these the AT kind of ran through there. So I see these hikers are kind of going through. We didn't really see them. We're sitting in a rowboat with fly rods and we're fishing. And she yells out, excuse me, are you guys birding? And I was like... Took such offense what? to that. He took such offense I, to that. How do you not? You look like a birder. Dude, that's like <laughs> playing, that's like being shooting basketball and someone would be like, Hey, you guys playing lacrosse? I mean, come on. Man. I it guess. Even make I sense. guess. You should have picked so up. So to me, head. I'm like, what is this? I didn't even really know what birding was at that point. I was younger when they asked well, that's question. Your, that's your and now I've just always been turned off to it. Well, it's such a stupid question. I mean, ask. you should have just picked up your net and said, We're butterfly catching. We're butterfly catching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, what's your controversial yeah, question? Go ahead, move off from the burning topic. All right, so... I'll, I'll revisit. So you and I, Greg, have talked, I think on air, but maybe not on air, about... We've talked about Euro-nymphing. And Euro-nymphing is a very controversial thing right now because it's a very effective way to catch fish. Okay? However, we've talked about, is it really, truly... Is it really, truly fly fishing? Because the definition of fly fishing, I don't know country but in the state of Maine, is that... The fly line has to propel 
the fly, not the other way around. Am I right? You're correct. Yes. That's how it's written in the rule book. Right. So when you when you own if you have like a 20, 25-foot leader, your fly line doesn't even come out of your eyelets most of the time. And you're not really casting. You're kind of just flipping these heavily weighted flies out there. Okay. So it's a controversial topic. But where I'm going with the flies are, and this is not anything to do with Euro nymphing really, but are there flies out there that are not really flies that people are fishing? Yes. Because I see all this but stuff out you're there. You're not just talking like, about Euro nymphing. You're no, talking no, no, about I'm talking about in general. I see these materials now that they're making. You yeah. got frog legs that are I, like rubber legs coming out. They look like some sort I, of. Have lore. you read the definition of what a fly is? That was my next question. I said, what defines a fly? So it, it has to consist of thread. And natural materials bound to a hook. Mm-hmm. A single, synthetic single pointed, a hook. single pointed hook. Single okay. pointed hook. But you can have whatever you want on there for synthetic materials. It has to have naturals and thread mm-hmm. bound to a single pointed okay. hook. But you can have synthetics on there. Of course you could. Okay. But it has to have naturals. Right now, before we go any further with this discussion, these are arbitrary laws. Somebody made these up. Very true. It's arbitrary. Very true. So That's what definitions we are. Like for me, Euronymphing in Maine, I'll just say this. You're just a quick tangent. Euronymphing in Maine is illegal. Nobody According can, to the law. Nobody should be Euronymphing in Maine. It's illegal. It's not fly fishing. Right. In my book, I still consider it fly fishing. It's the same as double nymphing, you know, there's really no difference. Very true. And um so for me I think yeah, it's fine. But I'm just saying Euronymphing in Maine should be illegal because it does not abide by the law. Right. That, if you're a law and order person. Yes. That goes to my point that the law is arbitrary. Same thing with flies. In the law book, naturals, like this fly... No, there's peacock out front. On. Let's say there was a, a synthetic peacock on this. There's nothing... you know, And this was a synthetic feather or whatever. There would be no naturals on here. So by the law, it would struggle to meet the definition. Yes. How do I feel about that? Some flies, for me, definitely don't meet... Oh, well, that, I see a like, lot of flies there that look like a lure that you would buy. Sure. Like, legit like a lure. Yeah. Like, you may as well yeah. just put a treble hook on it yeah. and call, Surf, it a, call, call it a lure. Surf candies? Yeah. Are essentially a Rapala with a little tail, right? They've just True. got a hard body. Yeah. Just like But a you Rapala. got some bucktail on it, right? Sure. I mean, some of them are just synthetic. They just are mm-hmm. uh, SF blend, Steve Ferrari blend. Steve Ferrari blend, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and that's it. And then yep. it's, so I mean, essentially Rapala with some synthetics hanging out. I think that's a fly. Yeah. But by the definition in our state, that doesn't, that doesn't meet the, the requirements. Right. I, I think you would be more hammered upon by an authority about your method of fishing, depending on the water you're on. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's true. if you're, if you're casting what looks like a fly on a fly rod in fly fishing only water, they're not going to bother you as much as if you're out there throwing a daredevil spoon on your fly rod, right. which is clearly in violation of being on that piece yeah. of water, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah, there, there, there are crossovers in that. I showed you a floating smelt pattern that you were like, dude, that's not even a fly. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you, except for the fact that I wrapped that whole entire hook shank with thread. Right. Yeah. So it meets the definition. It's yeah. got thread wrapped on the hook shank. Interesting. Yeah, it's not a fly. Yeah. Well, well, it is, but I mean, it's not. Even all the like all the raised floating smelts, not flies. They're not technically flies, but I mean, well, there's thread on it. And is is there even it, like what's the difference between if I put a single hook on a Rapala and a raised floating smelt? 
really nothing. That's <laughs> very, a, that's very hard yeah. plastic actually, versus foam. Actually, the Rapala has more natural material because it's got a, probably a wood center. It's probably made of wood on the inside. It's balsa, yeah. So, so you know, <laughs> it's, it's probably, probably more natural than a raised floating uh, smell. Have either one of you read Blaine Chocolate's recent book, Game Changer book? I have yes. not have read it. Have you seen the Fly Paula? Yeah. So I've tied a few. Uh, interesting. It's yep. super right? interesting. But right. it's that... The only difference between that and an actual Rapala, though, is that takes skill to, yeah. to oh, tie. It's a pain. It's a pain. It is a pain. A Rapala, if you're not hand carving the, the wood, it takes no skill. It's yeah. just the machine's pumping it yeah. out. So for me, there is a little bit of craftsmanship yeah. that decides a fly or not the 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 ones that are like of deer hair and people are shaving them down and they're stacking it and like they're making it into the, these crazy the pat cohen's of the oh, world oh and, yes like they're making crazy things that is unbelievable and it yes. takes so much craftsmanship mm-hmm. it's very hard form you know for sure too, yes. even though it's very similar to a rapala like or a popper, you yes. know, like a bass popper or something. Yeah. It's very similar. Right. Um, I think there's a level of craftsmanship that should be considered into what's a fly and what's not for mm-hmm. sure. And so that that leads me again. It's all arbitrary. Everything like what's a fly and what's not. Our state's definition could use some changing for sure to adapt with updating. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Same a million other things. Same well, yeah. same thing with That the, was a very pessimistic tone I used. <laughs> <laughs> same thing with the definition of what is fly fishing. That also could use yes. some updating. Yes. For sure. Yep. So, you know, things that aren't flies, mostly because of new technology. Uh, yes, correct. Yeah. Like euro nymphing. I think that's fly fishing. I it's agree. the same as double nymphing. Yeah. It's yeah. no different. Yeah. yeah. But the law is not caught up with the times for sure. That law, so I actually looked into it a little bit and that law hasn't been changed for like 30 years yep. 35 40 years yeah. it hasn't even been considered looked at you know so um other things like squirmy wormies mm. it's that's, you know, that's a go you know yeah. or a mop fly or well well a mop i uh, i'm more okay with a mop fly than a squirmy wormy a mop. yeah but you know but if you're putting the hackle on it like a if lot of the, the original CDC, yes, then then you can cross. You know, there's there's always that gray matter that's sure. involved in it to me. Yeah, you know, and if you're doing the right thing, and or at least trying to do the right thing, you're probably not going to get. Yeah, let's be honest. The right thing doesn't have to do with the type of fishing you're doing or what mm-hmm. you're what you're using for a lure or a fly yeah. or whatever. Yeah. The fact that you're out on the water. If you're not going out there dumping beer cans and trashing the place and you're being a good steward and you're helping other people out, like yeah. that's the important part yes. of fishing. It's mm-hmm. not, yes. are you fly fishing? Are you fly fishing only waters? Are you using a fly on non-fly fishing only waters? Like mm-hmm. That yeah. stuff doesn't matter as much yeah. or, or hardly yeah. at all. So. And the other thing with flies is like, you can, people are now, especially with bigger fish, you're starting to attach some hardware to it. You yep. can attach some like spinning blades on the back or Beats. there's like tails that like spin. Rattles, right? And um, rattles. Like I tie a bunch of rattles into my musky flies and pike flies and yeah. bass flies. I tie rattles all the time and, you know, big. Could you tie that on a trope, like a fly fish only water? Yeah, for sure. You could? Yeah. Rattle. I mean, as long as what? there's other hair and stuff on it, you know, but you could tie a rattle on there. What, you want a yeah. rattling smell? You could certainly put a rattling smelt in there. For sure. Who as long you? as you're casting it. Right. Who would bother True. you? You know? You know, who would bother you? If you're casting it, your fly line's out. Yeah. You know? As long as, for me, it's like, could I cast this further with a fly rod than I could with a rod and reel? Yep. And four pound mono. 
you know, which one could cast it further. If I can cast it further with a fly rod, then for me, checks out. If I can cast it further with a rod and reel, well, that's where you, that's for me where it gets into, okay, it's no, yeah. it's no yeah. longer a fly. Yeah. It's yep. no longer a fly. So that's just, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic for sure. So I think for people starting out, it's a really cool thing to tie your first fly and then catch a fish in that, right? Yep. Like, I think we all kind of remember that. Yeah. Um, I actually don't remember what the first fly I caught on was that I tied. Because after a while, like we're talking about here, you get hooked on it, on tying, and let's be honest, we have very long winters here, so you know, yeah. pass your time. <laughs> yeah. your time while you, you can't just sit there and watch YouTube videos every day. So yeah. um, there's that sense of kind of like accomplishment when you tie your own fly and, and stuff. But after a while, you just, I don't even, I'm like, did I tie this? I don't, I don't like you stop caring about that part of it in some ways, yeah. whether you tied it or somebody else. But that's a huge part of, of getting into it. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to ask you guys at the end, some rapid fire kind of questions and just like quick answers, not, not nothing too philosophical. <laughs> um, just to kind of see, cause I like, I like to do that and see what comes out of your brain real quick. Sure. So, um, but before that, is there any message that you just have about like fly tying in general, like why people should get into it or just, I- what are your thoughts? No, I mean, if, if you get if if you get into fly tying and and again you're getting overwhelmed with it, don't. It, it's probably not the thing for you. But also, if you're getting into it and you want help, reach out to Greg or reach out to myself or or anybody else that you see out there. Ninety nine percent of the guys you run into that are tying flies are going to be willing to help you. And if they're not willing to help you, they're not somebody you want information from. Mm-hmm. You know, so don't get overwhelmed and don't. Don't be ashamed of reaching out and asking for constructive criticism or help tying a fly. Yeah, yep, that's a great point. I'll zoom. I'll zoom with anybody anytime to to tie flies. Yeah. No problem. Yeah, I've never shut anyone down looking for information. Yeah, there's no. There's just yeah. It's a, it's a relatively small community. Yes. You know the fly tying community. It's pretty small. So every one of us, like we all can relate to one another, and you know we all went through the same struggles, and we're all trying to you know be creative, let our creative side show, and so. You know, it's a a little you know community that everyone kind of has their backs, and you know, I've never run into anyone that's like, I'm too good for you, you know, because I tie better flies than you. Like I just I don't really you know, it just doesn't exist. Like everyone's very I've, open. And I've met a few so far well, in the I, last in the last year or so. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that I'll, after. I'll the podcast. That. I've <laughs> met one. I've met one that is a little on the snobby side, but yeah. still, they answered my questions just a little. With a little flair, like, wow, I can't believe you didn't know that. Yeah. You're an idiot. You know, yeah. it's like, well, it, it, I guess I'm an idiot. So you're, you know. you're 100% right. Yeah. This is a small industry. Everybody oh, yeah. looks at the fly fishing industry and thinks it's huge, but you know, it's, it's a very small industry. Yeah. And there's it's very good. few major players in this industry. And, you know, you get yourself into trouble in a hurry by, by alienating the wrong person oh. or, or doing the wrong thing. For and, sure. You know, relax, be yourself, and and seek the help you need. And yep. if you don't try, if you don't get over the first person, move on. Yep. yep. And I would say, um, for the more experienced people, uh, something to get into that I've been getting into more recently um, is making your own materials. Mm-hmm. So start to finish. Yeah. So I actually I just sent Nate some the other day. I've been so in the you know, red squirrels are open like all year pretty much or whatever they have nine months or gray squirrels nine months they're open for a smaller window it's basically the winter um but so basically i'll hunt some squirrels and 
you know, the capes, like making capes. So when I hunt, you know, grouse, I always cape every single one. Yeah. And I use the feathers and I, you know, it's fun going from hunting, making the cape, dyeing your own material if you want a specific color, using that fly and then catching a fish. That's like, it's full circle. So that's a, that's a really cool thing. So if you've never done that, gone full circle, um, you know, it's really easy to make a cape that's usable for fly tying. You just need to borax. You just need to skin it and borax it pretty much. And then you're good and then you can dye it and, you know, make it your own, make your own unique colors. And it's just, it's a whole new avenue to get into. There's so many techniques and how to dye things and how to preserve things and how to, you know, when should you get the squirrels? Like I like to shoot them in oh, different the, shades as the season goes yeah, on. Yeah, different like, thickness. A dis- yeah, yeah, coats are different. Yeah, in the sense. winter, the red squirrels get a really dense underfur yep. that's great for making like soft dubbing, you know. And in the in like the early fall, it's not there, and it's like very spiky dubbing. Yes. Yep. So the summer can, coat's not as good as. No, it's yes. not as good. Yeah. So you know, it's cool. You you learn these things. It's just another thing that like you can go down another rabbit hole and be like. Boy, what's this? And like rabbits, that's a huge one. White coats in in the winter, brown coats. Their yeah. feet are really unique, and they have unique fur on their feet that make things very buoyant. And yeah, yeah. So there's, and they change throughout the year. Yeah, oh, big the, time. Yeah. The so fur changes on them. So so if you're looking to take it to like another step, and you're looking for another sort of hobby, and most fly tires hunt, you know, that's a common overlap. Then mm. that's another avenue where you can. You know, you can look into. Yeah. It's almost a full circle, but how are you using the fish to kill the bird? That's a great, good point. <laughs> it's a 98% circle. Yeah, I lay out suckers for turkeys to come in. There you go. Right. By the way, I have a horrible gray squirrel problem, so I don't think I can discharge a firearm in my Probably not. Probably not. No. Probably Man, they're not. all digging in my yard, taking their acorns they buried back in the fall. Well, that's kind of what squirrels do. You know, yeah. <laughs> they, they need they need those squirrels. They, they need those nuts to survive. You know, squirrels. All right, we're gonna end this with some rapid fire questions here, okay. which is kind of fun thing to do. Okay, I'm ready. So, like, just one answer doesn't need to be anything elaborate. Okay, so I'm gonna start with you. You ready? Sure. All right. What's your go-to fly for trout? Just <laughs> what comes to the top of your mind. Pheasant tail. Okay. You. Uh. God. Soft tackle, for sure. Yeah, okay. soft tackle. All right. Go-to fly for landlocked salmon. Oh, God. I don't know if I want to divulge this information. Caddis nymph. Caddis nymph. Yeah. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was going to go with, like, caddis nymph for ex-caddis. I okay. fish a lot of those. Yeah. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not looking for, we're not looking for any secrets here. Sure. <laughs> However. That's why I said caddis nymph. However. <laughs> I like to make people think think quick. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to start with you. What is the fly that nobody is using that they need to be using? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You need to fish more fox game changers. You need more of those in your life. Same question to you. Nine-inch sliders. Big sliders. Yeah. Yeah. Monster sliders. Cool. Pike, muskie, bull. Everything. Stripers. Everything. Trout. Anything. Yeah, everything. Anything you want. <laughs> Crazy. I, I fish them all the time. I heard... Not not as much for trout, but warm water, 
pike, musky, stripers. I mean, like an all-white slider. I've yeah. caught I've caught one of my biggest stripers on. I've had my biggest musky take on. I've caught my biggest pike on. I've caught my biggest largemouth. I've caught my biggest smallmouth on. Mm. The same pattern. It's crazy. So That's crazy. And Dude. it's a mega... It's a big... It's a hunk of fly. Yeah. yeah. So... You won't catch many small fish on it. You don't, I don't catch many small fish on it. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about, because we had the musky episode last week, and you were talking about how you use like a nine-inch popper, mm-hmm. and somebody told me that they saw somebody using basically a eight or nine-inch popper for trout, and the trout were coming up like a, for coming up at it like crazy, but just couldn't bite it, basically, because it. it has such a long tail or yeah. nip in the tail or whatever. I think, but I think that like people, they don't, they don't understand what an eight inch fly is. It's a mega fly. Like it's huge. It's know? huge. It's a sock. And literally, well, it doesn't have to be, but it, it, for me, like I'm, I've been experimenting in recent years with how big can I go? Yeah. I don't know. I just like doing it. Who doesn't like casting big flies? You know, True. small flies work with trout and salmon. Like I use oh, a yeah. ton of small, like yeah. size 20, size 18. I right. use a ton of And those. if you never caught a big trout or salmon on like a size 20, 22 fly before, yeah. it like, you don't believe it at first, but when sure. it happens and then it keeps happening, you're like, this oh, is ridiculous. Yeah. 2020 club. Yeah. 2020, 2020 club. Yeah. 20 inch great. fish on a 20 yep. size 20 fly. Sure. But yeah, so I, I've been trying to push the limits and it definitely has been paying off for sure. Nice. With the warm water stuff, you know. Uh, 100% with you. Sure. I mean, that's, I've said it before, you know, I started out with Northwoods Fly to to introduce tandem articulated flies to people yep. in Maine. You know, nobody was fishing. They're fishing tandem streamer flies, you know, trolling them behind boats, but nobody's right. casting articulated flies to fish in yep. Maine. And there's a small percentage of us in western Maine that were doing it and have caught on and, you know, how big can you go with a fly for a smallmouth? And I, I've got some friends that say, you know, I won't go over a five-inch fly for a smallmouth. Mm-hmm. That is an excellent choice if you're in it to make money yep. as a guide. Yes. Right. Because you are going to catch uh, zillion. The, a zillion fish in there. Yep. You know, Kelly Gallup said it before, the bigger the fly, the bigger the fish. So the less fish you're going to catch, but you're going to go for that one trophy that's in the box. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. Greg, and I, Greg and I talked about it with musky flies. Yep. Hey man, how how often do you fish a sixteen inch fly? At least once every time I go at up there. At least once. Because isn't it cool to say you caught a big fish yes, on a sixteen inch fly? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Now will a six inch fly catch you more fish? Yes. Potentially, yes. Yeah. But Man, you know, I've had that I've had that argument or like that observation with people where I'll catch a dozen, fifteen fish on smaller flies, maybe like a 16, 18 inch trout or something. Yeah. But then I run into somebody who's just been literally fishing a big streamer like all day and i'm like how many fish could say he's like yeah two but then i just watch them pull in like a 22 inch trout or something yeah yeah. 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 so like when i go out for smallmouth i have no interest in catching a a one pound smallmouth i just i've I've caught i grew up on the andro i've caught you know i have no interest i want to catch the five pounder yeah you know i want to catch that so that's what i'm targeting i'm just using trophy hunting yeah that's all i'm doing and i'd like to be kind of uh go back and clarify a little bit. When I talk about articulated stuff, I'm not talking like double or triple hooks in there. Mm, yep. A lot of my stuff is just single hook yep. that I'm fishing. But like two shakes. But it's got to have, yeah. or more, it's got to have the action yep. to it. For me. I will yep. say, I have fished the Fox Game Changer from Nate, and it's, it's friggin' impeccable. It's a good one. <laughs> like, <laughs> what did you fish for? What did you fish it for? So I, um, I can't remember why, but I got a couple from him. 
I have no. I idea gave why. you the pink one when the day that the three of us yes, fished the Andro. Yes, yeah. Yes, that's when it was. And uh, I used it for smallmouth throughout the summer. And man, the action on it is fantastic. The articulation, yeah. If you've never messed with articulation, you absolutely must. And the uh, the movement was great, but they um, they swim so well. Like, yes. They swim. Again, this comes down to fly, you know, construction, but they swim very vertically mm. and they maintain such a good profile in the water and you can really make them dance like yes, where you can't do that with other flies. Yep. And so with, you have these game changers, you can really make a move side to side and have that like, I'm a dying bait fish action to yes. it, you know? And so, yeah, so I had two, I had two follows with it, with that same pink one up in Allagash with some muskies and I never hooked one on it but I did have a couple falls on it Yeah, and yeah smallmouth loved it like loved it they crushed that so immediately after I caught like I caught a bunch of smallmouth on it I was like man I need more of these in my box That's I shouldn't have said know. pink <laughs> <laughs> it so was a green it? it was a green one right <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. it was green it was black colors matter right they, they sure do <laughs> they do when when they get time to inspect it, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Like, big time. Go-to fly for smallmouth? That, okay, if I want to catch a big one, the white slider. If I want to catch a <clears throat> bunch of them, um, I tie a pattern. It's like a little white bait fish. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Something jerk. And, and it's a craft fur bait fish. And it's just, you know four inches-ish, yep. right around that, and it just looks like a little minnow. Craft fur is a great, great material. If you just m- want to make a bunch of something that it's looks like a little too. minnow, yep. um, I'm going that. Craft fur bait, bait fish, around four inches. White with a little bit of red in it, a little bit of, little bit of red. Um, that would probably be my go-to. You? Yeah, uh, articulated white fly that I tie. That's it's basically fox hair and a couple of brushes, but it's got a a flyman double barrel popper put on backwards, so it it's basically a glide fly. It slides mm-hmm. through the water. Yeah, it's like, yeah, has to be on a sink tip though, mm-hmm. because it suspends. Yeah. yeah, interesting. And I want that suspension. I want the movement, the suspension, and maybe a little bit of lift to it. Yeah, but interesting. You know, what I just started messing around with was putting. Uh, the cones on the front. Yep. And I haven't used them yet. I just started doing it. But man, they're going to push a mega amount. They of push water. a ton of water, and the way that they make the materials move is yeah, oh, yeah. incredible. So I, I'm interested to get those out and test it. But man, they're going to. I'm like, oh my God, how much water? And you're right. <laughs> if you put it on like a, you know, a Buford, for those people who don't know, a Buford has like a really dense head, and it's a classic musky fly, but. It pushes so much water out front, and the cone is water can't pass through that Correct. at yep. all. So it's going to push even more water. Yes. And I'm like, oh my god! How? But you're right. You'd you'd have to fish it on a sink tip to get it really where you want it. Yes. Or intermediate at least. Yes. And that way it would be suspended. That material doesn't sink. Those those cone heads don't sink. So yeah, I'll have to use intermediate for sure. Good. Yeah. And that way, it'll have action in the middle of the water column rather than yes. on the top, you know. Yep. But yeah, yeah. What pike fly? Anything, anything big in bucktail, yep. for me. I, bucktail seems to hold up the best for me when it comes to to toothy critters. And when I say big, I'm talking like six to eight inch fly, single yep. point, more flash than in my musky flies. Yeah, interesting. 
Same answer. Same answer. Red and white would be my favorite yeah. color combo. That's like yeah. a classic Pike one. Yeah. yeah. Chartreuse, all white, pink. Yellows with redheads. Yeah. Interesting. Pike are Pike are more after they're more gold diggers than musky. Yes. You know, they're looking yep. for like the flashy, you know, yep. what's bright and exciting, you know, whereas musky are I, I don't have nearly as much interest with things that are flashy and bright. Like I the more drab almost the, the better. The natural colors with hardly a few strands of crystal flash yeah. here or there yeah. or a little bit of flash mixed yeah. in, but like naturals brown, and brown, yeah. green, you know sucker colors With, like that you know. there are some exceptions that i throw in there because i will fish some yellows and blues mixed mm-hmm. in in my musky flies yeah. but i have we have i have last year i had a lot of action on like a it was like it's periwinkle out back with a bright orange head mm-hmm. anything else that was bright and flashy didn't have great yeah interest in but that one just whatever reason seemed to work for the trip you know so yeah. i Anything that looks like a sucker or a small mouth. Yeah, is a perch. Yeah, done, yeah. Okay, next question. You got two left. What's your least favorite fly to tie? <laughs> to tie, not <laughs> fish. <laughs> What's your least uh, favorite? My least favorite yep. is. How do I hate to tie? I hate tying. It's a strong word, but. I hate you tying. You like that word, though. Yeah, I do. Because I'm a very passionate guy, you know. I hate tying. Um, my least favorite. God, clink hammers. I tie a lot of them, though. Yeah. <laughs> I hate them. I hate it. I hate, hate them. You know, it's okay. I mean, this one's fine. But I, I despise their delicateness. And it's just... Mm. Anything delicate, I'll, you know, I'll change my answer. Anything delicate, okay, it pisses me off. I hate it. <laughs> Can't stand it. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, humpies. I hate tying humpies. Oh, I hate tying humpies. Do you have to use razor? Yeah, humpies? I cut them all off all the yeah, time. Right, I don't yeah. tie humpies. Yeah, I, I can. I just don't. It, it's a pain. Smart. Humpies like a. That's smart. It's got like wings on it, like a mayfly pattern, right? Yeah. And, and you know, the L care over the bat, it's, yeah. you have to get the proportions just right to make the fly look just right. And nice. I'll, anyone that does great deer body work, like deer hair body, like the yep. extended bodies. Yes. I am envious. Yes. That stuff is so difficult. Yep. You know, when you see a fly, it's got the extended body and it's deer hair and, it's like every strand is in perfect position. I'm like, how? Yeah. How did you do that? Yep. Yeah. It, it must have taken you an hour to do that. Yes. <laughs> like it must yeah. have taken you to tie one dry fly. It must have taken you an hour yeah. because it's so delicate, you know. So what I'm hearing is folks should take their stimulus money and buy four dozen clink hammers from the <laughs> <laughs> Go hit you up for some humping. Yeah, you know? go ahead and order them. I'll get to you in a couple of months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might get back to you in a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then that leads to the last, the last question. What's your what's your favorite fly to tie? And don't give me the cliche answer of the one that I haven't tied yet. Because <laughs> you've given me that one before. No, what's no. What's actual fly? What's my, my actual most favorite fly to tie? Yeah. I yeah. really, anything big and meaty. I mean, I really enjoy tying big flies far more than I enjoy tying 20s, 18s, 16s, 14s, any of that stuff. And 
the bigger the better to me, man. I love I love tying something that's just you look at it and you're like, damn. I know it's pretty cool. I often yeah. wonder when I tie big flies like that. Like I've tied a bunch of Kelly Gallup type patterns. Yeah. And I'm like, is this actually gonna catch fish? <laughs> oh yeah. It's <laughs> like oh. huge so. And I have caught on them. Don't get me wrong, but some stuff I, I don't even think I've fished them. Some of them I have, and I'm like, because I'm like, am I gonna fish this? But I need to. The the sex dungeons. Oh, I get, love those. Get fished a lot oh, yeah. for careful. Careful. Sorry, yeah. yeah. No, I don't careful. <laughs> you don't want to make anyone upset right. with the fly names. No, that, Kelly Gallup's a perv. No. That no, one pattern that had that yellow. bad name that time. That <laughs> it uh but in all doubt, it's uh we fish them for smallmouth. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I've seen nine inch rainbows take the trailing hook on one of them. That's crazy. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. What was the one name? Oh, He's got some weird names for his flies. Yeah, he does. Very yeah. yeah. But, but you know, again, it's like it's just a fly, you know. Right. Same Montreal whore, like it's true. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you don't Your like names. it, like L. L. Bean went PC and they switched it to the, the Montreal Floozy or, or the Quarter yeah. Cor- 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 or, or yeah, yeah, whatever the hell, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you the know, working so, girl, you know, if, you know, it's like whatever, you know. So if you don't like the name, you can always change it. It's not like you know, people will know if it's you know. It's like calling if you the dungeon, but Kelly Gallup's dungeon. You you know what you're talking you know about. Yes. You know, like you know, I tie cool. gray shadow streamer flies. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, so it's you know it's whatever. It's a ridiculous ridiculous thing going on around around Instagram for sure. Yeah. My favorite what I am favorite? gonna echo, um, I love so I just started tying a new pattern. On the new A-Rex hooks. The A-Rex came out, uh, Gunner, he, he does, he's a master of the big fly. He came out with this hook along with... Um, Paul. Um, Paul, yep, yep. And the hook is serious. It's a pretty serious hook. And it's interesting. I It just came out, so I haven't fished it at all. You know, I haven't fished it for anything. But I've started tying some really mega patterns on that and kind of incorporating both Gunner and Paul's sort of styles. They do, it's like they can incorporate a bunch of attachments on the back and there's a lot of pieces that go into it and it's very complex. And so the more complex the fly is, I, the happier I am yeah. to do it. Like the more complicated it is yeah. and the more pieces, that's where I enjoy yeah. the ones that are very simple. Like I have no interest in doing them, but Big musky flies that have take you an hour, it, yeah, and take me an <clears> hour <throat> or more to you know construct and think about. Those are the ones that yes. I can just do all day long. Nice, yeah, for nice. sure. They're also unfortunately super expensive to buy, so very few people buy them. So I end up just tying them for myself a lot. You know, yeah. when you tell someone like, "Hey, this is a thirty dollar fly," they're like, "Yeah." Well, maybe I don't need it that bad. Yeah. It's like, well, sorry. I guess I'll tie another one for myself. <laughs> that's a good point. You know. Yeah. That's a good point. But. And oh. really, the biggest of musky stuff I sell is Fox Game Changers up yeah. eight, nine inches. Yeah. And that's that's all I do. Yeah. So. What is, what's your favorite fly to tie, Aaron? What's my favorite fly to tie? Yeah, sure. I love tying clink hammers. Oh, my God. <laughs> the clink hammers. Got it. Oh as as long as you can get your quill to fit, right? Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah. Just That's as right. long. You can't tie Should size, trip, you can't tie size 14 clinks, though. Not Only. with a quill body, no. <laughs> Give me a thread body or a dumping body. Right, whatever. 
I think thread bodies are just as effective as quill bodies. I've been tying mostly thread bodies. I will tell you that. Then yeah. I think you're going to find... I just think it looks cool. You know, you can put two pieces of thread. So, like, you know how there's a black segment there? True. Just tie in a black piece of thread and then wrap the black piece of That's thread. That's a good point. That will give you the segmentation. I mean, I don't think it's going to fish better than just using, like, olive no, thread. No, of course not. The but fish aren't, they're not. I mean, if you, know. you find a fish that's going to look at the body of that fly before it eats yeah. it, yes. you're not going to catch the fish. That's true. <laughs> you're never, you're I've just, said this about about legs on stone flies. You know, everybody's like, oh, you don't have enough legs. Yeah. All right. Well, if the fish is stopping to count the amount of legs on that, yep. forget it. Yep. I didn't need to catch that fish anyway. And you, you know what point. I tell those people? It's interesting. They're counting the legs, but they're not looking at the giant hook coming out of its ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, oh, my know. God. That fly doesn't look like a fly. Right. You're yeah. like, it's, yeah. yeah it's, You're it's, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's something big and pointy coming out of it. <laughs> they don't notice that. I don't know. You know. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. Uh, Clint Cameron, good, good to know. I've learned a lot about you tonight. Yeah, that's my, <laughs> that's my favorite. <laughs> Least favorite? Probably Pat's rubber legs. Pat's rubber legs, huh? Yeah, Tough to get nuts. those legs perfectly even, nice and level. Yeah, because you know. they're counting. Yeah, they're counting. Count. 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 Not need enough six. legs. You need six, you need two in the back, two in the front, you know, it's all over the place. What's funny, though, is those are two of the flies I've tied, like, the most of in my life. <laughs> one of my hate and one of my love. So, <laughs> so. all right, guys, well, listen, thank you for listening to another episode of the Main Fly Fishing Podcast. Uh, you can find Nate at northwoodsfly.com. Yeah. Right? Instagram at nwflyco, and Greg is main fly guys. Just type it in anywhere you're gonna find them all over the place. So, um, thank you for listening to another episode, and we'll see you next time.